from Isaiah. I'll ask you to keep your bulletins handy. We have a new scripture response for Advent, so you'll want that handy when we get to the end of this text from Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways. But you were angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. And have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. In this portion of Isaiah, the prophet is asking, where is God? He's working within his community, trying to identify God's presence and how they could see God at work in their lives. You can hear him calling for God's presence in that opening verse we read. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Three times in the first three verses, he invokes the presence of God, calling for God or remembering when God was present with them. Biblical scholars call this kind of writing a lament It's the expression of deep feeling, of mourning, of yearning, often of sadness and frustration, right on the edge of giving up hope. And yet in the biblical narratives, always a glimpse of hope survives in these writings. This prophet Isaiah and this portion of the scroll is in that place of lament, of almost being hopeless, and yet hoping against hope that God will come, that God will be with them. Isaiah proclaims that life goes awry when God's presence isn't seen or felt. You can hear it in verse 5. He writes, you meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. The lament begins to turn into confession in verse 6. He writes, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. 
We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Confession is an important part of our life and our spiritual life. And this lament moves into confession this morning. It signals a willingness to look at the darker parts of our lives, the ugly and difficult situations in which we find ourselves when we examine our own behavior. But what you know from your own experience, and we can see in this text from Isaiah, that it's really hard to stay focused on our own shortcomings and our own confession. It's so easy to begin there and to slip into blaming someone else or excusing or justifying our behavior because of what somebody else did. Isaiah begins in this lament by saying that his people have sinned, that he has sinned, that they've fallen into iniquity, He says we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. But in the very next verse, you can see him move from confessing to blaming God in that last part of verse 7. For you, he's speaking to God, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity so important to confess and yet so difficult to really take responsibility for our own poor behavior last week at our house we were watching the crown on netflix there's a new season out it's a series about the british monarchy in one particular episode they're looking at the difficulty in the relationship between Princess Di and Charles, and in this particular scene, they've gone through a very public and ugly divorce. Terrible things have been said by each of them about the other. They're living separately now, and Charles drops by to see Princess Di. She is surprised that he is there. He confesses that he is a little confused himself about why he felt compelled to come by. But then he begins to confess that he knows that he was not a very good husband and he really didn't carry his weight in this relationship. At first, Princess Diana is really suspicious that he's there at all after everything that had happened and how she had been treated and what had been said. But as he continues to confess his own shortcomings, she joins in the confession and says, Oh, I know I was difficult too in the marriage. And then Charles begins to try to explain why he hadn't been the husband he should have been. And Di says, well, yeah, I understand because you were so self-centered. And within just a few sentences, they are at each other again. And he is standing up yelling at her and she's sitting at a table in tears. And they depart and you see the brokenness of this relationship. If only they could have both done their honest confession without slipping into this tendency we have to blame another to justify our own behavior. Honest confession is a step toward healing 
and reconciliation. But the blaming and attacking of others to justify our own behavior distorts our souls. In this passage we've read today, Isaiah vacillates between trying to give honest confession and every time he attempts that slipping back into blaming God for the poor behavior of the people. But finally, by verse 8, I think he gets to the root and the significant part of all of this for us. He writes, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Here is the good news, that we are the handiwork of God, that God indeed is our creator, and that without God, we transgress, we fade like a leaf, we get blown around by our iniquities, is the word Isaiah uses, but through our own devices and our own plans and our own impulses, we go down a path that's not one where God would lead us. It's a recognition of sorts of our need for God, but it's more than a recognition. It really is a confession that we need God if we're going to be all that God intends for us to be. In fact, for us to be all that we hope and dream that we might be in our own lives. But I think it's even more than a recognition or a confession. I think it is a request from Isaiah that God come. That if the people could be honest and confess their sin to God, that God might come and shape and form them like the potter shapes the clay into a vessel that it's meant to be. Charles de Foucauld was a spiritual writer. He wrote many prayers and reflections on the spiritual life. Perhaps his most famous prayer is known as the prayer of abandonment. I want to read a little bit of it to you. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. Amen. Advent invites us into this season of waiting for God, of looking for God, of anticipating that God is faithful and God will come, hoping that somehow God will come into our lives in a way that meets our needs and shapes and forms our circumstances. But it's also a call to slow down, to reflect, 
to think deeply, to look and listen for God, who sometimes seems to be absent, as Isaiah says. But for Christians, we have this season of preparation before Christmas, where we are to prepare our hearts and minds to get lined up, if you will, with God, to be ready to hear God's good news. It anticipates a God who comes to us. We're waiting for this story to unfold where God will come to us through these two young travelers who find themselves in a barn about ready to have a baby. This really is not a story of God coming to us with great power or great wealth or God coming to us creating instant change in our world or in our lives. It's much more a story of mixed blessings, of struggle and humble beginnings, reflecting the messiness of life that even sometimes when we're doing the right thing, when we're responding to God's call in our lives, things still do not unfold the way we expect. One of the Bible commentators writing about this passage that I read this week was thinking of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great pastor and theologian who lived through the reign of Hitler and the Nazis, finally imprisoned for his opposition to what Hitler was doing. We have his writings from prison. This Bible commentator had been reading some of those letters and papers from prison, and he says, you know, he realized that Bonhoeffer had concluded while he was waiting in prison that God was not coming to him with great power to save or to rescue or to release him. This commentator wrote, for Bonhoeffer, this realization did not amount to a denial of faith, but to a retrieval of faith in the God of the cross, whose power is suffering whose omnipresence is vulnerability. What Bonhoeffer discovered was that the hiddenness of God is not a cloak of humility covering an awesome, powerful glory, a kind of Clark Kent changed a Superman act, but rather is a reflection of the divine character, a divine determination to relate to the world through the vulnerable path of non-coercive love and suffering service. Advent invites us to wait and to look for that God who did travel with these two young people about to have a baby and yet finding themselves in a manger. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that they might have been wondering, where is God? We are doing exactly what God called us to do, and we find ourselves in these circumstances. How can this be? Surely where they were at that moment was what, not what they had expected when they dreamed of having a child of God. 
our United Methodist hymnal provides such great resources for this season of Advent. That first song we sang today, number 211, captures this sense of yearning and longing and hope all mixed together. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. But then contrast that with the chorus, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Or in the second verse, the same kind of feeling with different words, O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The sense of waiting and yearning, of lament and yet hope all mixed together pull this season of Advent together. Reverend Ira Williams wonders, how will God come to us? He wrote a volume that I've had my whole ministry, wonderful reflections on faith. It's called God in Unexpected Places. In fact, it's David Carpenter's uncle. David sings in our choir right up there at the top. I used this book years ago, and he said, did you know that was my uncle? I had no idea. I hadn't thought of that volume for quite a while. Then this week, as I was reading this text, I thought this is exactly what Ira Williams was getting at. I want to read you just a few sentences from one of his reflections where he's talking about this. He writes, in such a casual way, we say, God comes. How can we take for granted so bold a claim? Try to imagine for a moment the supreme intelligence who dreamed a world and set the stars on their courses to say such a God cares about us almost seems like a blubbering arrogance. And yet, this is our faith. This is our proclamation. But the wisdom of the Bible was ne never very logical. People were always so sure that God stood on the rim of space and looked down at humanity with little more than scorn or pity or an occasional act of benevolence. They were so sure until they looked into the face of a child in a manger and dared to say, God with us men were always so sure that god was like a king who enjoyed his power and dominated his subjects they were so sure until they looked into the face of a carpenter riding a donkey into a city and saw him make weak people strong people were always so sure that God would want them to deal cruelly with all who were different than his favored worshipers. They were so sure until they looked into the face of a man on a cross 
asking God to forgive his very tormentors. Remembering these things, how do you think God might come? I've left you with a question on the bottom of your outline. How do you think God will come to you this Advent? Amen. And thanks be to God.